you are now tuned into World War II Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, and I'm here to take you on a journey through the whirlwind of historical events that shaped our world and defined generations. Stay tuned every Tuesday and Thursday as we delve into the riveting, inspiring, and sometimes tragic stories from World War II. We'll meet the brave men and women who stood up to tyranny, we'll explore clandestine operations and daring escapes, and we'll pay tribute to the resilience of the human spirit in times of extreme adversity. Also, be sure to check out our other podcast focusing on World War I, the conflict that set the stage for the global turmoil that followed. Use the link in the description below. In the vastness of the Pacific, scattered like scattered emeralds over the blue expanse, lay the Solomon Islands. Unassuming and serene, these tropical isles were far removed from the global stage, content in their tropical obscurity. But in the summer of 1942, fate would thrust one of these islands, Guadalcanal, into the harsh spotlight of world conflict. It would become the setting for one of the most critical and hard-fought battles of World War II. The Battle of Guadalcanal, six brutal months of relentless jungle warfare and treacherous naval engagements, would not only test the limits of human endurance but also turn the tide of the war in the Pacific. Here, in the dense green canopies and azure surrounding waters, thousands of miles away from home, young men from Japan and the United States locked in a deadly duel that would determine the course of history. Drawing from myriad sources, we dive deep into this gripping saga of determination, courage, strategy, and sacrifice. We traverse the high-stakes chessboard of the Pacific Theater, delve into the personal stories of larger-than-life figures, and take you on a journey through the battle strategies that dictated the engagement. We explore the events that led to the showdown on this remote island, the fierce struggles that marked the battle, and the factors that led to the Allied victory. Further, we examine the profound impact the battle had on the broader trajectory of World War II and its enduring legacy that continues to resonate in the annals of military history. As we embark on this journey through time, expect to encounter heroism in the face of despair, strategic genius, tactical blunders, unimaginable resilience, and the indomitable human spirit. Welcome to the riveting saga of the Battle of Guadalcanal. I am your host, Steve Matthews. Join us today as we embark on another exciting adventure. Chapter 1 The Opening Gambit As dawn broke on December 7, 1941, the world watched in shock as the Empire of Japan launched a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. This audacious move pulled the United States into a conflict already engulfing Europe and Asia, marking the beginning of the Pacific theater of World War II. The stage was now set for an epic clash between the forces of Imperial Japan and the Allied powers, principally the United States, for control of the Pacific and Southeast Asia. Commanding the Imperial Japanese Navy was Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, a man of exceptional intellect and foresight. Yamamoto, an ardent student of naval power, had studied extensively in the United States and understood the industrial might of his nation's new adversary. He orchestrated the Pearl Harbor attack, hoping to cripple the U.S. Pacific Fleet and by Japan time to consolidate its territorial gains. However, Yamamoto's gamble failed to yield the desired result. 
the attack on Pearl Harbor sparked a flame of determination and resilience in the American spirit rather than quenching it. The United States mobilized its vast industrial resources for war and appointed Admiral Chester Nimitz as commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet. Nimitz, a calm, steady, and unflappable leader, was tasked with turning the tide against the formidable Japanese Navy. The vastness of the Pacific Ocean presented a unique challenge to both sides. It was a vast chessboard, dotted with island chains that were stepping stones to the main prizes, for Japan, the Philippines and the East Indies with their abundant resources, for the United States, Japan's Pacific territories and the Japanese mainland itself. Both sides knew that control of these islands was the key to victory. During the first six months of 1942, Japan's expansion seemed unstoppable. They had secured the Philippines, Malaya, Singapore, and the Dutch East Indies, and their sphere of influence now threatened Australia and India. The Battle of the Coral Sea in May 1942 was the Allies' first check on Japanese advancement, and it set the stage for the epic confrontation that was to come at Midway in June. The Battle of Midway was a significant turning point in the Pacific theater. Here, despite being outnumbered, the United States Navy, under Nimitz's command, dealt a devastating blow to the Japanese fleet. For of Japan's aircraft carriers, the heart of its naval striking power, were sunk. Japan's aura of invincibility was shattered, and the initiative in the Pacific began to shift toward the Allies. Yet, the war was far from over. The Pacific Theater was about to witness several more fierce battles on land, sea, and in the air, across dense jungles and vast oceans. From the bloody conflict on Guadalcanal to the island-hopping campaign that slowly but steadily drove back the Japanese forces, each chapter of this struggle was marked by extraordinary bravery, strategic brilliance, and an unwavering commitment to victory. The Pacific theater of World War II was not merely a test of military might, but also a clash of wills and ideologies, played out in some of the most challenging and exotic landscapes on the planet. It was a grand, brutal drama that forever changed the world and those who participated in it. Japan's conquest had sprawled across the Pacific by the first half of 1942, each victory tightening their grip on the ocean's vast expanse. Amidst this, a new objective caught their eye an insignificant speck of land in the Solomon Islands called Guadalcanal. Lush, verdant, and remote, it was hardly the place anyone would imagine a war of such grand scale. Yet, its strategic importance was unmistakable. With an airstrip in construction on Guadalcanal, the Japanese hoped to launch planes capable of threatening the vital Allied supply and communication lines to Australia and New Zealand. Recognizing the potential danger, the American military, under Admiral Ernest King, Chief of Naval Operations, began devising plans to seize Guadalcanal before the Japanese could consolidate their position. On the other side of the world, in Washington, D.C., President Franklin D. Roosevelt and his war advisors scrutinized maps, weighing the potential benefits and costs of such an operation. They understood well that to engage in a major land offensive in the Pacific would mean diverting significant resources from the European theater. Despite these considerations, the decision was made to proceed, 
marking the first major offensive against Japanese-held territory. Allied planners handpicked the 1st Marine Division for the task, led by Major General Alexander Vandegrift. A seasoned officer with a reputation for strategic acumen, Vandegrift was tasked with the near-impossible, taking and holding Guadalcanal with limited support and supply lines stretched thin. Meanwhile, Japanese forces on Guadalcanal, unaware of the impending storm, continued construction on the airstrip, which they named Lunga Point. In July 1942, a flotilla of Allied warships and transport vessels sailed out of Wellington, New Zealand, bound for Guadalcanal. Carrying thousands of Marines, they navigated through treacherous waters, their progress obscured by a cloak of radio silence and constant threat of Japanese attack. It was a risky gamble, a daring thrust into the heart of Japanese-held territory. But the Allies understood that risks had to be taken, for the road to victory was never meant to be easy. And so, the path to Guadalcanal was set. From the highest echelons of power in Washington, D.C. to the loaded transports bound for a distant jungle island, the wheels were in motion. A chain of decisions and events had led both sides to the brink of a confrontation that would forever change the course of the war. The stage was set for the Battle of Guadalcanal, a struggle that would test the mettle of all those involved and have far-reaching implications for the outcome of World War II. Among the vast cast of characters that filled the stage of World War II, a few names stood out in the Pacific Theater, their actions echoing in the corridors of history. These men, some warriors, others strategists, became the heart and soul of the Battle of Guadalcanal. At the helm of the American forces was the indefatigable Admiral Chester Nimitz, who commanded the U.S. Pacific Fleet with a quiet confidence. Standing tall with a seafarer's bearing and a no-nonsense demeanor, Nimitz radiated calm amidst the storm of war. His leadership would be instrumental in guiding the U.S. forces through the many trials they would face in the coming months. In the heart of the conflict, Major General Alexander Vandegrift led the 1st Marine Division. Vandegrift was a seasoned veteran, his face etched with lines of battles fought and won. His leadership would prove crucial in the fierce and brutal fight on the ground, guiding his men with a firm hand and a warrior's heart. Across the sea, the Imperial Japanese Navy was under the command of the astute and ambitious Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto. Educated in America and a veteran of the Russo-Japanese War, Yamamoto was no stranger to conflict. He understood the might of his opponent and carried the burden of command with a quiet dignity. On Guadalcanal, Lieutenant General Harakichi Hayakutake led the Japanese forces. His task was not an easy one. His men were far from home, combating not only the enemy but also the inhospitable jungle, disease, and dwindling supplies. Yet, Hayakutake, with his sharp intellect and stern determination, led his men with unyielding resolve. These men, distinct as their paths may have been, found their destinies intertwined on the remote island of Guadalcanal. Their decisions, actions, and resolve would shape the course of the battle, impacting not just their own lives, but those of thousands of men under their command. Their leadership, in the face of adversity and against formidable odds, would define one of the most pivotal battles of the Second World War. Chapter 2 – Prelude to Battle 
Behind every monumental battle lies a complex web of meticulous planning and tireless preparation. The Battle of Guadalcanal was no exception. In military headquarters, field camps, and naval vessels, key figures in this historical drama dedicated themselves to crafting strategies, assembling forces, and overcoming logistical hurdles. Admiral Chester Nimitz, standing at the helm of the U.S. Pacific Fleet, was faced with the immense task of coordinating an offensive strike over thousands of miles of ocean. Underneath his calm demeanor, gears turned incessantly as he balanced the allocation of naval resources, the positioning of his fleets, and the planning of sailing routes to avoid detection by the enemy. Parallel to Nimitz's naval preparation, Major General Alexander Vandegrift and his staff faced their own challenges. The 1st Marine Division, recently formed and inexperienced in tropical warfare, had to be transformed into a fighting force capable of launching the first major Allied ground offensive in the Pacific. Vandegrift oversaw intensive training regimes to prepare his Marines for the unfamiliar jungle warfare awaiting them. However, the biggest challenge lay in the supply lines. Ensuring a steady flow of food, ammunition, medical supplies, and reinforcements across vast distances was a daunting task. Admiral Richmond Kelly Turner, charged with this task, worked tirelessly, coordinating with different branches of the military and employing every available resource. On the Japanese side, Lieutenant General Harakichi Hayakutake found himself with a similar task. His garrison, initially intended for construction rather than large-scale defense, needed bolstering. Troops were redirected from other regions and assigned to Guadalcanal, often with little understanding of the imminent conflict. Hayakutake also faced the daunting challenge of ensuring supplies to his isolated forces, with the ever-looming threat of Allied submarines. Back in Tokyo, Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto provided strategic guidance. Despite misgivings about the war, he remained dedicated to his duty, planning and supporting operations to strengthen Japan's position in the Pacific. Little did he know that his counterpart, Nimitz, was also burning the midnight oil thousands of miles away, planning a strategy that would bring their forces into direct conflict. As days turned into weeks, the countdown to the battle began. Ships were loaded, troops were briefed, plans were finalized, and prayers were said. A sense of anticipation hung heavy in the air a pause before the storm. Under the vast, star-studded Pacific sky, the path to Guadalcanal was paved with planning and preparation. The world held its breath, waiting for the first sparks of conflict to ignite. In late July 1942, an imposing convoy of Allied warships and transport vessels quietly departed Wellington, New Zealand. This was no routine patrol or training exercise. On board were over 19,000 men of the 1st Marine Division, the vanguard of the first major Allied offensive in the Pacific. Their destination? The remote island of Guadalcanal. Admiral Richmond Kelly Turner commanded the amphibious task force, his mind occupied by the enormity of the mission. Ensuring safe passage through treacherous waters teeming with enemy submarines and aircraft was a daunting challenge, especially given the need for absolute radio silence to maintain the element of surprise. On board the transport ships, 
Major General Alexander Vandegrift shared a few final words with his officers. His eyes, determined yet calm, were a mirror to the task that lay ahead. Below deck, thousands of Marines checked and rechecked their equipment, tension filling the cramped quarters. They were young, eager, and resolute, untested yet undeterred by the uncertainty of what awaited them. Days melted into nights, the fleet pressing on under the cloak of darkness and silence. The ocean was a relentless expanse of blue, a reminder of their isolation and the formidable task ahead. As Guadalcanal drew closer, briefings became more detailed, drills more intensive, and prayers more fervent. Meanwhile, thousands of miles away in Tokyo, the Japanese military remained oblivious to the impending storm. Admiral Yamamoto, along with Lieutenant General Harakichi Hayakutake, continued to focus on fortifying their positions in the Pacific, their gaze turned elsewhere. Unbeknownst to them, in the early hours of August 7, 1942, the Allied fleet drew close to the shores of Guadalcanal. Their approach was masked by darkness and the quiet lapping of the waves against the hulls of their ships. Dawn was approaching, and with it, the beginning of a brutal campaign that would change the course of the Pacific War. As the first glimmers of daylight pierced the darkness, the quiet was shattered by the roar of naval artillery. Operation Watchtower, the invasion of Guadalcanal, had begun. A sense of urgency filled the air as troops prepared to disembark, their hearts pounding with anticipation. This was at the culmination of weeks of planning, preparation, an intense voyage across the Pacific. Now, the real test began. The invasion of Guadalcanal caught the Japanese forces by surprise. An otherwise insignificant speck of land in the vast Pacific Ocean was now the epicenter of a major Allied offensive. As news of the invasion reached Tokyo, the initial reaction was one of disbelief and shock. Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, who had once studied in the United States and had a keen understanding of American determination, took the news with a grim resolve. He was acutely aware that a foothold in Guadalcanal would pose a direct threat to Japan's expansive Pacific perimeter. Recognizing the gravity of the situation, he swiftly coordinated a naval response to try and dislodge the Allied forces from their newly claimed beachhead. On Guadalcanal, the situation was no less grave. Lieutenant General Harakichi Hayakutake, commander of the Japanese garrison, faced the unenviable task of rallying his outnumbered and ill-prepared troops against the determined enemy. The humid, dense jungles and harsh terrain that had once been a construction site for an airfield had now become a battleground. As news of the invasion trickled in, the Japanese forces stationed on Guadalcanal were plunged into chaos. Yet, Despite their surprise and the unfavorable odds, they mounted a stubborn defense. Over the coming days, they would counterattack, pushing back against the invaders with a ferocity born of desperation. Back in Tokyo, leaders of the Imperial Japanese Army and Navy held frantic meetings, scrambling to orchestrate a coordinated response. Reinforcements were mobilized, and plans hastily drawn to recapture the island. The Battle of Guadalcanal, initially viewed as a mere American nuisance, was quickly escalating into a major strategic concern for the Japanese high command. 
the Japanese reaction to the Allied invasion was a mix of surprise, denial, and determination. An offensive they hadn't anticipated had turned into a battle they could not afford to lose. The ensuing struggle on this remote Pacific island would not only determine the fate of the soldiers involved, but also the trajectory of the wider war. It was a reaction that spoke volumes of the unpredictability of war and the lengths nations would go to secure victory. Chapter 3. The Clash of Titans In the pre-dawn light of August 7, 1942, the sea surrounding Guadalcanal churned with activity. From the decks of Allied warships, Marines watched as the coastline materialized, a dark line separating the sea from the brooding jungle beyond. Their destination was Red Beach, a stretch of sand near the almost completed Japanese airstrip. Admiral Turner, overseeing the landing operations, had every available ship bombarding the coastline, a symphony of thunderous roars and flashes of light painting the horizon. The Marines, feeling a mix of fear, anticipation, and excitement, steeled themselves for the assault. As the first landing crafts cut through the waves towards the beach, Major General Vandegrift stood on board the command ship, overseeing the operation. His calm, determined demeanor was a beacon for his men. The Marines expected stiff resistance, but as they stormed the beaches, they found it oddly deserted. The Japanese garrison, caught off guard, had retreated into the dense jungle, leaving behind a half-built airstrip and scant defensive structures. The Marines pushed forward, their initial apprehensions slowly replaced with the optimism of an uncontested landing. Despite the relative ease of the landing, challenges soon arose. The tropical heat and rugged terrain began to take its toll on the troops. Swamps, rivers, and dense undergrowth slowed their advance. As they pushed into the jungle, the ominous silence was occasionally broken by sporadic gunfire, a grim reminder that the enemy was not far off. At Lunga Point, where the Japanese airstrip was located, the Marines were met with minimal resistance. They secured the airstrip, renaming it Henderson Field after a fallen Marine aviator, Lofton R. Henderson. Van de Grift, knowing the importance of the airstrip, prioritized its completion, assigning battalions of engineers to the task. Meanwhile, the rest of his forces prepared defensive positions, anticipating the inevitable Japanese counterattack. Back at sea, the landing operation continued. The ships unloaded men, supplies, and heavy equipment, a constant stream feeding the burgeoning beachhead. Yet, unbeknownst to the men on the ground and the commanders at sea, a storm was brewing. The initial landings and assaults were only the first steps in a battle that would soon test the resolve and mettle of every single man involved. As the sun set on the first day of the Battle of Guadalcanal, the real fight was just beginning. The Battle of Savo Island, occurring just a few days after the initial landings, was a rude awakening for the Allied forces at Guadalcanal. It was a grim testament to the naval prowess of the Japanese and a harbinger of the ferocious battles to come. On the night of August 8, 1942, under the command of Vice Admiral Gunichi Mikawa, a fleet of seven Japanese cruisers and a destroyer slipped silently through the dark waters towards Savo Island. Mikawa, an experienced and audacious commander, 
aimed to disrupt the Allied landing operations and buy time for reinforcements to arrive from Rabaul. Meanwhile, the Allied warships, tasked with guarding the transport vessels anchored off Guadalcanal and Tulagi, remained unaware of the approaching danger. Their radar was still in its infancy, and the thick darkness that blanketed the sound offered the Japanese ships perfect cover. Suddenly, the calm night erupted into chaos. The Japanese fleet, appearing ghost-like out of the darkness, unleashed a barrage of torpedoes and shells on the unsuspecting Allied ships. The Battle of Savo Island had begun. It was a brutal and one-sided affair, the Japanese naval artillery turning the sound into an inferno of sinking ships and burning oil. Aboard the USS Chicago, Captain Howard D. Bode, stunned by the surprise attack, struggled to retaliate against the well-coordinated Japanese onslaught. But the swift and overwhelming Japanese assault left little room for organized resistance. For Allied heavy cruisers were sunk, and a number of other ships were damaged. The USS Canberra, named after the Australian capital, was one of the ships hit hard, its crew forced to abandon the burning cruiser. By dawn, the Japanese fleet had withdrawn, their mission accomplished. In their wake, they left the scene of destruction that shocked the Allied forces. The Battle of Savo Island was a devastating defeat for the Allies, resulting in a significant loss of life and material. However, this tragic setback served as a wake-up call. It emphasized the need for improved coordination, vigilance, and innovation in the face of a formidable enemy. Despite the defeat, the landings on Guadalcanal continued. The Marines ashore, learning of the disaster at sea, steeled themselves for the battles ahead. They knew their fight had just become a whole lot tougher. As the struggle for Guadalcanal wore on, the vital importance of Henderson Field became increasingly clear. This rudimentary airstrip, carved out of the island's thick jungle, emerged as the key to control the island. The Battle of Henderson Field, fought in late October 1942, would prove to be a critical turning point in the Guadalcanal campaign. The Japanese understood that retaking the airfield was essential to regain the upper hand. Lieutenant General Hayakutake, seeing an opportunity to turn the tide, prepared his forces for a significant offensive. Reinforced by fresh troops from Rabaul, his plan was to launch a three-pronged attack aimed at overwhelming the American defenses. On the other side, Major General Van de Grift, anticipating the attack, prepared his Marines for a desperate defense. His men, weary from weeks of fighting, malaria, and meager supplies, drew strength from their shared purpose and the leadership of officers like Lieutenant Colonel Chesty Puller. A man known for his courage and tenacity, Puller was a beloved figure among the Marines. The Japanese assault began under the cover of darkness on October 23rd, intense gunfire and explosions tearing through the silent night. For three days, relentless waves of Japanese soldiers charged against the Marine positions around the airfield. The fighting was fierce and brutal, often hand-to-hand, -hand, a testament to the determination of both sides. In the midst of the chaos, Lieutenant Colonel Puller, leading his 1st Battalion, 7th Marines, proved instrumental in repelling the relentless Japanese attacks. Despite being vastly outnumbered, his unit held the line, 
their defiant resistance embodying the Marines' fighting spirit. Meanwhile, the Allied Air Forces, operating from Henderson Field, provided vital air support, their planes taking off and landing amidst the battle. They harried the Japanese troops, disrupting their offensive and providing a morale boost to the beleaguered Marines on the ground. The Marines, after three days of intense fighting, succeeded in repelling the Japanese attacks. The defenders' grim determination and unyielding resistance, coupled with effective air support from Henderson Field, had turned the tide. The airfield remained in Allied hands, marking a significant turning point in the Battle of Guadalcanal. In the aftermath of the Battle of Henderson Field, the Marines, though exhausted, could take heart in their victory. They had withstood one of the fiercest assaults the Japanese had yet launched, and in doing so, had turned the tide of the campaign in their favor. This battle not only marked a critical turning point in the fight for Guadalcanal, but it also underscored the unwavering resolve of the Marines, shaping the enduring legacy of their fight in the Pacific. In this episode, we spoke about the Battle of Guadalcanal, opening gambit, prelude to battle, and the Clash of Titans. Join us in our next episode when we expand on our story and talk about why the Allies prevailed, the wider impact on World War II, and legacy of the battle.